0: Welcome to the podcast of New Covenant Church in Albuquerque, where we focus on the Bible, faith, and life issues. We hope this podcast will be helpful to you on your faith journey. Now, here's our message.
1: Good evening. May the words of my mouth and the thoughts of my heart be pleasing to you, O God, my rock and my redeemer. To... Our church family, Good Friday's not designed to be a celebration, but a commemoration, a day we look back on as the darkest in all of history so that we never forget what happened. We go back to revisit when Jesus Christ, the Messiah, was brutally tortured and then killed in a very public and humiliating way, that is carefully described in all four of the Gospels. And this evening, we're going to relive much of it by going through Mark 15, verses 1 through 20. Very early in the morning, the leading priests, the elders, and the teachers of religious law, the entire high council, met to discuss their next step. They bound Jesus, led him away, and took him to Pilate, the Roman governor. Pilate asked Jesus, "'Are you the king of the Jews?' Jesus replied, You have said it. Then the leading priest kept accusing him of many crimes, and Pilate asked him, Aren't you going to answer them? What about all these charges they're bringing against you? But Jesus said nothing, much to Pilate's surprise. Now it was the governor's custom each year during the Passover celebration to release one prisoner anyone the people requested. One of the prisoners at that time was Barabbas, a revolutionary who had committed murder in an uprising. The crowd went to Pilate and asked him to release a prisoner as usual. Would you like me to release to you this king of the Jews, Pilate asked, for he realized by now that the leading priests had arrested Jesus out of envy. But at this point, the leading priests stirred up the crowd to demand the release of Barabbas instead of Jesus. Pilate asked them, then what should I do with this man you call the king of the Jews? They shouted back, crucify him. Why, Pilate demanded, what crime has he committed? But the mob roared even louder, crucify him. So to pacify the crowd, Pilate released Barabbas to them. He ordered Jesus flogged with a lead-tipped whip then turned him over to the Roman soldiers to be crucified. The soldiers took Jesus into the courtyard of the governor's headquarters, called the Praetorium, and called out the entire regiment. They dressed him in a purple robe, and they wove thorn branches into a crown and put it on his head. Then they saluted him and taunted, Hail, King of the Jews! And they struck him on the head with a stick, spit on him and dropped to their knees in mock worship, when they were finally tired of mocking him they took off the purple robe and put his own clothes on him again then they led him away to be crucified a passerby by named simon who was from cyrene was coming in from the countryside just then and the soldiers forced him to carry jesus cross you see jesus had been beaten so mercilessly he did not have the strength to go on any further and they brought jesus to a place called Golgotha, which means place of the skull. They offered him wine drugged with myrrh, but he refused. Then the soldiers nailed him to the cross. They divided his clothes and threw dice to decide who would get each piece. It was 9 o'clock in the morning when they crucified him. A sign announced the charge against him. It read, The King of the Jews Two criminals were crucified with him, one on his right and one on his left. The people passing by shouted abuse, shaking their heads in mockery. Ha ha, look at you now, they yelled. You said you were going to destroy the temple and rebuild it in three days. Well then, save yourself and come down from the cross. The leading priests and teachers of religious law also mocked Jesus. He saved others, they scoffed. But he can't save himself. Let this Messiah, this King of Israel, come down from the cross so we can see it and believe him. Even the men who were crucified with Jesus ridiculed him. At noon, darkness fell across the whole land until 3 o'clock. Then at 3 o'clock, Jesus called out with a loud voice, Eloi, Eloi, lama sabachthani. Which means, my God, my God, why have you abandoned me? Some of the bystanders misunderstood and thought he was calling for the prophet Elijah. One of them ran and filled a sponge with sour wine, holding it up to him on a reed stick so he could drink. Wait, he said, let's see whether Elijah comes to take him down. Then Jesus uttered another cry and breathed his last And the curtain in the sanctuary of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. When the Roman officer who stood facing him saw how he had died, he exclaimed, This man truly was the Son of God. Between now and Easter morning, I encourage you to read at least one more of these four accounts in Scripture yourself. You'll find them in Matthew 27 Mark 25, Luke 23, and John 19. I encourage you to do it slowly, carefully, prayerfully, thinking about why it happened and what it means to all of us today. Because these scriptures explain and represent a day that changed the history of the world forever. What happened then will continue to reverberate throughout eternity. And we know it was not an accident or because Jesus somehow miscalculated the mood of society. Scripture shows it was planned down to the tiniest detail from the very beginning of time. I want to start by sharing portions of just two of the dozens of God-given prophecies in Scripture that predicted so much of what we just read. Isaiah 53 was written almost 700 years before Jesus was even born. And we start in verse 3. He was despised and rejected, a man of sorrows, acquainted with deepest grief. We turned our backs on him and looked the other way. He was despised and we did not care. Yet it was our weakness he carried. It was our sorrows that weighed him down. And we thought his punishment or his troubles were a punishment from God, a punishment for his own sins. But he was pierced for our rebellion, crushed for our sins. He was beaten so we could be whole. He was whipped so we could be healed. All of us, like sheep, have strayed. We have left God's path to follow our own. Yet the Lord laid on him the sins of all of us. He was oppressed and treated harshly, yet he never said a word. He was led like a lamb to slaughter, and as a sheep is silent before the shearers, he did not open his mouth. Unjustly condemned, he was led away. No one cared that he died without descendants, that his life was cut short in midstream, but he was struck down for the rebellion of my people. He had done no wrong, He had never deceived anyone, but he was buried like a criminal. He was put in a rich man's grave. Next, I want to go to Psalm 22 from about 500 years before Christ. My God, my God, why have you abandoned me? Why are you so far away when I groan for help? Skip to verse 4. Our ancestors trusted in you and you rescued them. They cried out to you and were saved. They trusted in you and were never disgraced. But I am a worm and not a man. I am scorned and despised by all. Everyone who sees me mocks me. They sneer and shake their heads saying, Is this the one who relies on the Lord? Then let the Lord save him. If the Lord loves him so much, let the Lord rescue him. Verse 14, my life is poured out like water and all my bones are out of joint. My heart is like wax melting within me. My strength is dried up like sun-baked clay. My tongue sticks to the roof of my mouth. You have laid me in the dust and left me for dead. My enemies surround me like a pack of dogs. An evil gang closes in on me. They have pierced my hands and feet. I can count all my bones. My enemies stare at me and gloat. They divide my garments among themselves and throw dice for my clothing. Can't you just feel the darkness? Let's go back to what we read earlier in that Mark fifteen thirty three passage, when they saw the darkness. At noon, darkness fell across the whole land until three o'clock. The Greek translation could also be taken to mean that darkness covered the entire earth. The description in the Gospel of Luke said the light from the sun was gone. This was not a description of a cloudy day. It was an all-encompassing blackness not seen since the beginning of time. Let's go back there for a moment. Genesis 1.1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was formless and empty, and darkness covered the deep waters. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the surface of the waters. Then God said, let there be light. And there was light. And God saw that the light was good. Then he separated the light from the darkness. God called the light day and the darkness night. All through scripture, darkness is symbolic of evil or Satan. And light represents goodness and God. The three hours of complete darkness described in three of the four gospels represented the judgment against the nation of Israel. They had rejected the light of Christ and now would be judicially blinded by God. And it was during those three hours of darkness that Jesus physically and spiritually bore the penalty of our sins in his body on the cross. The late Warren Worsby wrote, it was not an eclipse because that would have been impossible during the Passover season when there's a full moon. It was a God-sent darkness that shrouded the earth as the Son of God was made sin for us. It was all of nature sympathizing with its creator as he in the form of a man suffered and died. Wiersbe goes on to remind us, when Israel was in the land of Egypt, three days of darkness preceded the first Passover in Exodus 10. Each Jewish family sacrificed a lamb so the plague of death would pass over and spare their children. When Jesus was on the cross, three hours of darkness preceded the death of the Lamb of God, who was sacrificed for the sins of the world god did not spare his own son the witnesses and spectators jesus mother his closest friends and followers had no clue of what he was about to do they were devastated they thought it was done he told them in advance numerous times exactly what would happen and they heard they weren't listening they just weren't able to understand they could not imagine what they would experience at the dawn of the third day and tonight and tomorrow we need to look back at all of that darkness while we wait for the dawn of easter sunday on sunday pastor dave will walk us step by step through a powerful message on the resurrection of jesus And God's promises of Jesus coming back again to be with us in the near future It's important. We don't just hear this But that we understand it that we believe it Easter is wonderful a joy-filled Celebration for everyone in our faith a reminder of the dependability of God's promises even in coming back from death inside the grave but tonight The darkness before the dawn should cause all of us to look far beyond Sunday morning at Easter toward the fulfillment of all the other promises God has made to us through his new covenant with mankind when there will be a new heaven and a new earth. Those who don't know Scripture or who've read the Bible but don't firmly believe it with every fiber of their soul will be swept away, filled with dismay, destroyed by the darkness that is growing in this world today. It's already incredibly dark. Things we could not have possibly imagined in our worst nightmares 50 years ago are widely accepted in our society. Behaviors that would have caused you or me to be locked up or shunned or ostracized from polite company even 10 or 15 years ago have become the norm all of a sudden. And, and many of them are trumpeted as art, as light, as the renaissance of a new age. Don't fall for these false claims. Some come from those who call themselves Christians. Satan uses many in positions of power, the rich and the famous, to lure those who don't know any better into the trap of believing that mankind is evolving and getting better day by day by day for the next two bazillion years. Scripture reminds us of very dark days and that they're coming soon. And actually, those dark days will last for years. But if we look clearly we see that the lights of a civil society are already starting to dim this past year most of the world many of us have focused on the coronavirus and that has given us a much closer deeper look at some of the other darkness boiling just hidden under the surface in our society the illness itself caused a great amount of fear and, and huge sadness from those who lost loved ones or struggled with their health. Businesses closed, jobs went away or changed drastically. Many have faced extreme financial distress, and millions are still feared with dread and fear. Suicides have skyrocketed. So has depression and divorce, disease and death from other causes. You don't hear about it, but believe it or not, there have been a few people that have died from something besides the coronavirus in this past year. We stopped celebrating graduations, weddings, even funerals for a long time. Still, God has been good, hasn't he? He's allowed most of us to live pretty decent lives through all of this. The majority of us still have homes and food and finances to pay the bills, and many, many of you have been incredibly generous in giving what God gives to you to those who don't have all that they need to get by. But the growing darkness is noticeable, even in the best of relationships. What we have gone through has been difficult, frustrating, and hurtful. But let's be honest, the COVID-19 virus is just part of the problem. We live in a boiling pot that is bubbling up and spilling out in many areas of our society. Well-organized campaigns, uh, things like the cancel culture and movements calling for social justice are radically changing the rules and the expectations of our world in a dizzying manner. And I think most of you would agree with me that some of these things need to change. We can do better. As a church, as a society, we need to be aware of hurtful things that we've said or thought or done in the past and change that. Yet other things happening are a huge step backward, not only for society, but the Christian faith. The terms hate speech and hate crimes are used in wider and wider definitions. I attended a luncheon with about 125 other local pastors and ministry leaders this last week. The speaker was a pastor named Andrew Brunson, a second-generation missionary who spent decades sharing God's Word in Turkey until he was arrested and charged with terrorism simply for teaching about Jesus. Andrew spent nearly two years in horrible conditions, locked in a Turkish prison. He was facing two life sentences plus 35 years when he was finally released to the United States shortly after he was convicted. He warned us about what he described as a gigantic dark wave, a tsunami, he called it, that he believes is about to be unleashed on the church in the United States. He believes that what happened to him in Turkey is about to happen to many of us here. I know that sounds hard to believe. We've always been so blessed, so so protected, so favored by God in this country. But he described it as a boiling mass of dark oily water that is being held back temporarily by an angel of God and he believes that wave represents the anger of our enemies the growing groups of those who are dead set against the Christian Church churches that teach the Bible that stand up for the truth of God's Word in the face of rapidly increasing opposition the people who are now labeling us as hateful bigoted and narrow-minded and he said these people are not just complaining They're quickly gaining power and positions of authority. He mentioned leaders in academia, colleges, universities, public schools, large businesses taking strong political stances that are usually at odds with the basic tenets of Christianity, enormously influential tech companies that are systematically shutting out and closing off Christian messages on social media, email, websites, and even pastors. Can be enemies of the faith. There are some who are supposedly Christian, but are more interested in gaining favor with the world than in teaching the word, than in being true to the word of God. And he mentioned groups who are actively campaigning inside the government to remove the tax free status of churches, among a whole list of other things that he went over. I got an email day before yesterday, from Focus on the Family. Many of you are familiar with them. To me, a very kind, loving Christian organization, not a radical group at all, but they had their Twitter account banned. The Family Alliance is getting calls from dozens of Christian organizations that are being canceled by insurance companies, banks and software companies, just because they're Christian. Imagine not being able to have a banker to use your credit card. Imagine not being able to work. Because of your faith. And I've mentioned this before. It's actually illegal in most of Europe and Canada for a Christian pastor to read certain scriptures that are in the Bible from the pulpit. Many other pastors avoid teaching scripture that is in disagreement with our rapidly changing moral convictions in today's postmodern society for fear of angering those outside the church or causing division inside. Many don't believe that the word of God is true or eternal. We know that God's truth is not based on popular opinion or the ever changing cultural norms. It's written as a love letter to us, his children, to show the way. Out of our sin and back into his arms jesus said heaven and earth will disappear but my words will never disappear pastor brunson pointed out that for many generations most americans applauded the christian church then several generations just sort of ignored it more recent generations have just tolerated christianity but over the past several years more and more the public is showing that they actually resent the church while there are others who absolutely hate it what it teaches what it stands for and they are intent on its destruction and removal from society this is not political this is just keeping our eyes open and watching for what is happening what's approaching His comments dovetailed perfectly with the book that I highly recommend, Live Not by Lies, A Guide for Christian Dissidents" by Rod Dreher. Very difficult for the first three or four chapters because his description of what is happening in our world today was so accurate. It just made me very uncomfortable. I'm so glad I stuck with it because I came away incredibly encouraged. He looks back at the history of the church and totalitarianism in societies that were pushed by the likes of Mao and Stalin and Tito and Khrushchev. And then he compares it with the tidal wave of change that's rushing towards us today, how it's very much like back then, but insidiously different and even more dangerous. And then he explains how the church was able to survive through those times, even thrive in societies where even speaking of the Bible could cause you to lose your job, your home, or get you thrown into prison and if you're aware of this growing darkness it must bother you or frighten you or do you think I'm just being paranoid I admit it concerns me greatly but I don't worry about it Jesus tells us again and again do not be afraid we are not to be worriers Instead, we are called to be God's spiritual warriors. We are not to be afraid of the enemy, nor to be overwhelmed by their power or numbers or positions of fame and influence. A wise warrior keeps an eye on the enemy so we know where they stand and have a good idea of their plan. Yet as Christians, we are called to love them and pray for them even as they plot to destroy us. And you know, it's human nature. So very easy to see the darkness in others. But as followers of Jesus, we are also required to take a good, hard look in the mirror at the faults and sins in ourselves. Because it's not just the others in the world that are increasingly dark. We ourselves, by our nature, are sinful and full of darkness. Romans thirteen eleven says this is all the more urgent for you know how late it is time is running out wake up for our salvation is nearer now than when we first believed the night is almost gone the day of salvation will soon be here so remove your dark deeds like dirty clothes and put on the shining armor of right living because we belong to the day we must live decent lives for all to see. Don't participate in the darkness of wild parties and drunkenness, or in sexual promiscuity and immoral living, or in quarreling and jealousy. Instead, clothe yourself with the presence of the Lord Jesus Christ, and don't let yourself think about ways to indulge your evil desires. We have such an advantage today. Unlike those who saw what happened 2,000 years ago on Good Friday, today we know that the horrific suffering Jesus endured was only temporary. We understand that he now has been elevated to the right hand of the Father and that Jesus is coming back soon. Soon, you and me will actually be able to see the dawn of that new day. And all we have to do is to get through the darkness and together. We can do it, encouraging each other along the way to keep our eyes on the prize. We have to be focused. There are so many distractions, so many worries, so many fears, so many concerns. But no matter what you're facing now, regardless of your current circumstances, do not be discouraged by the growing darkness all around you. God promises the dawn is coming. You know, just a few days earlier before the crucifixion, on his grand entrance into Jerusalem on Palm Sunday, the crowds had cheered. Then at the end of that week on Good Friday, those same people taunted and jeered. Jesus must have been terribly discouraged, yet he persevered. And we must do, can do the same. Isaiah 60 says, Arise, Jerusalem, let your light shine for all to see, for the glory of the Lord rises to shine on you. Darkness as black as night covers all the nations of the earth, but the glory of the Lord rises and appears over you. All nations will come to your light. Mighty kings will come to see your radiance. Yes, this is addressed to Jerusalem but it also applies to us, God's people. This Bible prophecy points to many prongs of perfect prediction, the past, the present, the promise. It predicted the birth of our Messiah in Israel. And the wise men from other nations who journeyed to see what his bright light was all about. It references those three hours of complete darkness that covered the earth upon his death as well as the dark and growing evil that has plagued our world since that moment. That passage we just read also foreshadows his rising from the grave to prove that God had defeated the sting of death. And most importantly... These holy scriptures point us towards his second coming, which we believe will happen soon, when all of creation will celebrate in his brilliance as Jesus rules, radiating his wisdom, warmth, and love to all of his children for all of eternity. As we go home tonight, this passage is a wonderful place to spend our quiet time praying, pondering, Proclaiming our love for our Lord and risen Savior, Christ Jesus. John 1 says, in the beginning, the Word already existed. The Word was with God, and the Word was God. He existed in the beginning with God. God created everything through Him, and nothing was created except through Him. The word gave life to everything that was created, and his life brought light to everyone. And then this, the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness can never extinguish it. Let us reflect his light. Before Pastor Dave comes out for communion, please join me in prayer. Great Almighty God, we talk about being your children. And as I go through these passages, it just reminds me of of being a small child and being afraid of the dark. Sometimes it was overwhelming, but my parents were there. And Father, Lord, we know that you are always within arm's reach. Closer, you live inside our soul, and we can trust in you. Scripture says, You will keep in perfect peace all who trust in you, all whose thoughts are fixed on you. Trust in the Lord always, for the Lord God is our rock. Lord, let us stand on your firm foundation as we go out into this world. Let us not be afraid, let us not be swayed. Lord, give us the confidence. Of knowing that your word has been true all the way through for over 5,000 years. And the things that are still to come are not fairy tales, Lord. They are not imagination. They are promises from your word. And we can lean on them and depend on them. Just as surely as scripture predicted that Jesus would be beaten and whipped and mocked and crucified and buried in a grave and then rise from the grave. Scripture promises that you very soon will come back again, and we look forward to that moment. In Jesus' mighty name.
0: This concludes today's message. We thank you so much for listening. We'd love for you to connect with us. You can do that at our website, nccabq.org. From there, you can submit any questions, feedback, and your prayer requests. NCCABQ.org is also where you can learn more about New Covenant Church. Subscribe to our podcast and newsletters, browse our online message archive, and even tune in and watch the stream of each weekly message. We hope you'll join us. So, until next time, may the Lord bless you and keep you. May God smile on you and gift you. May God look you full in the face and make you prosper. Have a great week.